2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. 
Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This year the world is going to the polls on an unprecedented scale. According to multiple news reports, in 2024, half the world's electorate will be voting for new leaders and governments. So from Indonesia to India, Senegal to South Sudan, the UK to the US and beyond, four billion people will be casting a ballot. And for many, well, it will likely to be an unsettling time because the question will be, well, what will the future look like? What will the leaders deliver? And I guess across the world, there will be some of great hopes, real excitement and anticipation about what might be to come. And there'll be others feeling hopeless, anxiety about what is to come, a sense of inability to affect anything. And this year, of course, with all this going on, prospective leaders will be speaking a lot of words. We'll hear manifestos and mandates. We'll hear promises made and programs laid out. And under all of this, there'll be a big question. And I wonder if it's really the sort of question rooted right down in all of these electorates. Well, who will look after us? Who will look after us? But what if we could live every day under the leadership of one who truly loves us, one who knows us personally, one who truly cares for us? And what if that could last forever? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God speaks to King David, and it's good news. David reflects on what God has said. And in verse 19, which we just had read to us, he makes this reflection He says, this is an instruction for mankind, O Lord God. See, what we're dealing with this morning is a word for the world, a manifesto for humanity. These words are sometimes called the Davidic covenant. 
Well, the headline is in verse 16. God promises to King David, your throne shall be established forever. See, in 2024, there's going to be a lot of words spoken, promises made. But here God speaks a word that is really good news. And throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, well, we've been looking at what we might describe as the contours of the king and the kingdom that we really need. We might think of 2 Samuel a bit like an ordnance survey map. I don't know how well this illustration will work in the age of sat-nav and city mapper, but if you ever use an ordnance survey map, the paper ones, uh, if you've been walking, something like that, you'll have seen it's got these wiggly lines all over it. They're the contours. They tell us how high the land is, how steep the hills are. Last summer, I climbed up to St. Catherine's Lighthouse on the southern tip of the Isle of Wight. And beforehand, while well, I combined both technology and tradition, and I used the Ordnance Survey app on my phone, and I could see the contours. And I knew what the hill was going to be like. I knew what to expect. I wasn't on the hill, but I knew what to look for. And that's what we're doing in 2 Samuel. We're not looking at a high-resolution photo to try and see every blade of grass. We're not doing a dot-to-dot game where it means everything that David does, Jesus must do exactly. But we are looking at the contours. We're establishing the contours of God's king and his kingdom so we know what to look for when he comes. And what we've been seeing is that he is the just king. He is just and righteous. And we've seen he's a humble king. He is dependent on the Lord and he listens to his words. And he's the king that leads us on in all circumstances with that word. And we saw last week, didn't we, that pinnacle picture on the mountain of Jerusalem as David restores relationship with the Lord, restores his rule to his people. At the end of 2 Samuel, the author gives a summary. It's there in 8 verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. And at the end of the whole book, you don't need to turn there now, but we get a concluding summary. Just listen to what David says in chapter 23. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Well, what if we could live under the care of a king like that today? And tomorrow? And what if we could live under the care of a king like that forever? Well, God has a word for the world. We have three points this morning. The kingdom we need is forever. God has promised it. The kingdom we need is for the world. God's word offers it. And the kingdom we need is for the church. God has established it. The kingdom we need is forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a word that comes up 15 times, and it is the word house. And throughout the chapter, there's a big play on words with this word house. So if you flip back to verse 1, we see it refers to David's David's palace. Chapter 7 verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And the scene is a scene of real accomplishment. David's in his cedar-paneled residence. The throne is established. The ark of God is in Jerusalem. There's rest from his enemies. 
It's a great picture of salvation, God's people under his rule through the work of his king. And it looks like David well decides it's time to consolidate things. He's been watching grand designs on the TV and he thinks, let's build God a temple. And so he runs the idea past Nathan and Nathan says, you should call the architects. But then verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? See, the Lord says, no, don't build the house. If the Lord had wanted David to build a house, he would have given instructions. And in verse 13, we'll see he goes on to say, one of David's descendants will build a temple. But it won't be a house from the Lord like David had in mind. It'll be a house for the Lord's name. It will declare his glory, but it won't, won't contain God. He can't be contained. And he can't be contained because he's working. He's working out his salvation plan. And so the Lord reminds David what he's done already. He's rescued his people from Egypt. And he's raised David up to be their shepherd. Do you see that in verse 8? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And through David, the Lord will bless his people. And God will establish the kingdom his people need. But it's just not in the way David thinks. Not in a kind of regional king with the Lord in Jerusalem sort of way. A much bigger way. Verse 11. The Lord says to David, Moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a house. And this is the third play on words with this word house. We've had a palace, we've had a temple. Well, here we have a dynasty. And we read on in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. So we're thinking house of Tudor or house of Stuart or perhaps house of Windsor. Or maybe we're thinking Yuan or Ming or Qing dynasties. This is the sort of consolidation that the Lord has in mind. Succession for David's throne. But then verse 13 takes it up another level. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That key word is forever. And we see it again in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That word forever comes up seven times through the chapter. So those two words to look out for, house, forever. And it's worth just pausing to take this in for a moment. The house of Tudor held the throne for 118 years. The Qing dynasty ruled for nearly 300 years. And these were great human dynasties. But God's king reigns forever. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. Well, what if it was an eternal dawn? You see, as we look at the contours of God's kingdom, the horizons have expanded infinitely. It's a kingdom forever. And God promises that a kingdom that not even death itself could stop. You see, David may die, but the succession plan is secure. His offspring will be on the throne forever. Death can't stop this. And it's a kingdom that not even sin can stop. 
All through the Bible, the great problem we face is sin. It's the great problem we face in the world today. And sin at its core is the attitude of rebellion against God as humanity ignores him, rejects his rule, and we enthrone ourselves. And yet the fruit of sin is the trouble we see in the world all around us. Things we were praying for earlier, the escalating conflicts we see, the scandals and cover-ups that fill our newspapers, the suffering and sadness that we experience. It finds its root in this great problem, human sin. And sin was what brought Saul's kingdom to an end. But here the Lord says it won't stop this kingdom. Just look again at verse 14 and 15. They're sandwiched right between these two statements that the kingdom will be forever. And here we find assurance why sin won't stop it. The Lord says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. See, God will be a father to the kings in David's line, and they will be to him a son, adopted. And in this committed family relationship, well, the Lord will discipline sin. He won't ignore it. And we'll see, actually, as we read on in 2 Samuel, that this is played out as the Lord disciplines David when he sins in really quite serious ways. But the Lord promises that his steadfast love will not depart. And his steadfast love is his promise-keeping love. See, this is a promise made by God because he chooses to make it and not because we deserve it. It's a gift. It's grace. It's unconditional, which means it's unbreakable. But perhaps we're asking, okay, but how can this really be forever? Because what it looks like is we've got a very long line of kings and they're all going to rule for, say, 20 years, 30 years, 10 years, 5 years, and they're going to sin. How's this all going to work out? Well, we don't get all the answers right here in 2 Samuel 7, but we do get the contours. And one of the key contours is we're going to find the answer in the line of David. There's an old saying in the UK, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It means spread your investments. So if you drop one of the baskets, you've still got some eggs for breakfast in the other one. Well, 2 Samuel 7 actually says the best investment advice is to put all your eggs in the Davidic basket. Focus all attention on the Davidic line. That is how God is going to accomplish this promise. And because it's a promise that death won't stop, well, we're going to be looking for one who conquers death. And because it's a promise that sin won't stop, we're going to be looking for one who puts away sin. And because it's a promise fulfilled by God's Son, we're going to be looking to one who's the Son to the Lord. And these are the contours we're looking for. And when we open the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, well, the authors know these are the contours too. And they know that they found fulfillment. How does Matthew's gospel begin? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. What were the angel's first words to Mary as she learned she would conceive a son by the Holy Spirit? He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, this is God's consolidation plan. A sinless son, 
a death-defeating king and an eternal throne. The kingdom we need is forever and God has promised it. And as David reflects on this, he realizes that this is good news for the world. And so this is our second point. It is for the world. God's word offers it. You see, this morning, we're not looking at something that's obscure and just for the religious types. It's a manifesto for mankind. And David is just grasping this. I mean, could you imagine being David, having just heard this and having this promise made to you and to your line? Well, just look at verse 18. Then the king David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you've brought me thus far? I mean, is it, is it too much to imagine David weak at the knees, heart racing, head spinning, breathlessly entering the tabernacle and sinking to the ground? Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you've brought me to be thus far? And as David marvels at God's grace and all that he's done, bringing him from pasture to prince, the ark restored, peace in Israel, Well, verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. Why? Well, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. You see, David sees this is bigger than his family. This is instruction for mankind, literally Torah for humanity. A word for the world. I spoke to an American friend recently who told me that they are expecting the next nine months of news coverage to be just saturated in election chatter. Well, God's words here are words of universal importance and of hope for all people, whatever nation we are from. And why is David so sure these are words for the world? Well, it's because before this promise was made to David, he had made, God had made a promise to David's forefather, Abraham. Back in the book of Genesis, God promised to give Abraham a land, make a great people, and through his offering, bless the nations, and even establish kings in his line. And the promises we read here in 2 Samuel 7, well, they're full of echoes of that promise to Abraham. God says to David, I'll make for you a great name. He says, I'll appoint a place for my people. I will give you rest. And so David grasps that the promise that God has made to him is the way that he's going to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. And so it will be through David's line that the nations will be blessed. And we see that connection again if we think back to Matthew's Gospel, that first verse again, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, this is news for the nations and instruction for mankind. One policy think tank paper I was reading this week quoted a voter saying, a UK voter, saying young people don't see a bright future with most house prices well outside their earnings. And there were lists of similar quotes um, connected to economic troubles. And these are real and they are challenging issues. But what if we could know that even with property ownership potentially out of reach, we could still have a bright future? And what if we had assurance of a home as a citizen in a transcendent kingdom that even economics couldn't shake? And what if we could know personally the daily care of a leader who knows our name and loves us sacrificially? I was reading Psalm 20 yesterday where David says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
What if our future didn't depend on Rishi or Kier or Vladimir or Xi or Joe? Four billion people will go to the polls this year. But God's manifesto to mankind tells us Jesus is on the throne and he shepherds his people with love and his kingdom lasts forever. He invites us to an unshakable hope. Perhaps you are here this morning and you're not sure about whether you want to take a step to surrender to the rule of King Jesus. Well, 2 Samuel shows us that our great need is for one who can forgive our sin and restore us to our maker. And Jesus is the sinless king who does it. And 2 Samuel shows us that the security and flourishing, we so often look for governments to provide for us, which they can't deliver, is offered to us by our maker, and it's accomplished through his son. When Jesus began his public ministry, he declared, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's an amazing statement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And it's a wonderful invitation to come and become a citizen of his eternal kingdom. God's word offers a wonderful hope to the world. And it reminds us as his church just what he's done for us. And this is our third point. The kingdom we need is for the church. God has established it. As David continues to reflect on God's promise... Well, he reflects on just how privileged God's people are. We see that in verse 23. David says, And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a great name and doing for them great and awesome things. When David speaks of Israel here, he means the Old Testament people of God. He's not speaking about the modern political nation we know today. And so when reflecting on this privilege of being God's people, well, it's a word for the people of God, which is the church today. If we put our trust in Jesus, what the Lord promised to David is our reality. Jesus is risen, exalted at the right hand of the Father, and this morning he rules and he shepherds his people and his kingdom will endure forever. Our hope's not in earthly rulers or governments, Our future's not beholden to politics or economics. We're citizens of a global and eternal transcendent kingdom. And we have a king who knows each one of his people by name. As I've been preparing this week, I've just been asking myself the question, well, what difference does it make day to day to know that this is the reality? It'd be a great question for us to keep thinking about ourselves, to talk about, to pray through this week. Personally, it struck me how deeply and totally I can depend on Jesus, whatever the circumstance. Perhaps we find those questions come, the how will I, as we look ahead, or the what if questions that rear their heads. Well, what good news that we have a good shepherd and we can daily depend on him who loves us and leads us and sustains us and he's committed to do it forever. How wonderful to be able to remind one another of our king and his kingdom. Shall we look again at him today? And more corporately, well, it struck me that knowing Jesus' kingdom is eternal really helps us as a church to stay steady in our task. In a post-Christian society, there can be a temptation to compromise with it or to try and fit in. 
or to just be discouraged and distracted by what's going on. But when we remember Jesus on the throne and his kingdom lasts forever, well, that helps us to stay steady and invest in the work of building the church, listening to his word, loving one another sacrificially and making this good news known to the world. I was reading this week um, a piece by the author Stephen McAlpine who tells of research amongst young people and he found that three questions consistently came up as uh, these questions were uh, talked about in schools and they all centred around lack of meaning and purpose, loss of identity and looking for meaningful answers. Well, we have good news for men and women who are uncertain and confused and looking for meaningful answers. When we grasp that Jesus is on the throne, that the eternal kingdom is secure, well, it helps us to invest in being the church, living as God's people, so that we can hold out and welcome in those with great need and share the great hope we have with them. A king who forgives, a king who cares, and eternity is one of his treasured people. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. And that is our reality as the church. And so David leads us in praise. For there is none like you and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And so David leads us in prayer. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken I guess it's the prayer we might pray as, your kingdom come. And so let's pray that together. Heavenly Father, as David prayed, so we pray, because you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken, and help us to grasp what you have done, in establishing Jesus as our eternal king. And so, Father, we pray, may your kingdom come today and forever. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.